Hello, 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 and welcome in to another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. It is episode number 70. Wow, we've made our eighth decade on this earth. We are now septagerians. It's time for us to run for president. That's what I say. Uh, 70, there you go, just entering the prime of your life. This podcast is entering its prime, episode number 70, and I say that because I'm recording this edition of the show. Uh, Literally, I am on the floor um, recording the show with my laptop on a nightstand and my microphone also on a nightstand, so I'm like on my knees, please hold your jokes, hardy har har. But really, I am recording the show. Why am I recording the podcast in this crazy setup? I'm visiting a friend this weekend, and I'm a weirdo who doesn't like to record podcasts anywhere where others could overhear me. You know, I was I was working all day uh, from his beautiful kitchen kitchen counter. Um, but there's a little too much traffic in the kitchen. I need to be somewhere peaceful, quiet. No one can overhear me talking to myself for 20 minutes. Uh, so I, I chose his bedroom where there is no desk or or really anything except a little nightstand. So here I am. It's very uncomfortable. Maybe we'll sign off after five minutes. Maybe I'll go for like 45 minutes. Maybe it'll be a really long show this week because I just, I, it, it, yeah, it's not, I could probably do some stretching. While I do the show, kill two birds with one stone, I've been getting into yoga a lot over the last year plus. Uh, one of the pandemic habits I've picked up and want to keep on uh, doing here as we open up and also as I open up my hips while I do the show. So I think that is a great thing. So there you go. That's why I'm recording the show this week. We do have a lot to talk about. Uh, we've had <laughs> so many pride nights I swear, we do have some serious things to talk about this week, as always. Um, We do have uh, so many Pride Nights throughout Major League Baseball this year. Uh, The the number now is over 20, I believe, Pride Nights in Major League Baseball. We've had a number of them over the last week. And really, when I'm just taking stock of all of the Pride Nights across sports, and baseball gets the most publicity here because they're in the middle of their season, but uh, it's it's amazing that, and we talked about it last week, about how now you know it's not just good enough to change your social media avatar to rainbow colors for the month of June, and it's not just enough to hold a Pride Night or LGBTQ-centric event. What else are you doing, and what are you doing to embrace all aspects of the LGBTQ community? Every person in the community, uh, we are not a homogenous group. Our experiences are so different. What are you doing to support the marginalized members of our community? And you're seeing teams step up time and time again. And you're really seeing in, in these big cosmopolitan cities just how ingrained in life LGBTQ people are. I mean, openly LGBTQ people Uh, you know, the Red Sox, their Pride Night returned this past Thursday night, always one of my favorite events at Fenway Park all year long. It usually coincides, it always coincides with Boston Pride, this year no different, but because uh, most of the Boston Pride events are virtual 
this year. Uh, the, the Pride Night at Fenway Park was one of the few in-person Boston Pride uh, events. And it was a great night. It was a great game. The best game of the season. The, the craziest Fenway crowd since it reopened to full capacity over Memorial Day weekend. I'm telling you, you get a bunch of gays in there with some booze and you'll get a raucous atmosphere. There was a streaker on the field, which, again, no surprise. Gays, booze, take your clothes off, right? That's what happened at the park. <laughs> um, but it was a great game against the Astros. A great atmosphere. And City Health uh, Chief Marty Martinez throughout the first pitch. He's someone who I actually know pretty well. He plays in my flag football league. He served under Mayor Marty Walsh for the bulk of the uh, COVID era and uh, <clears throat> did a great job. And it was great to see him throughout the first pitch on Thursday night. And there's our you know City Health Commissioner, who was one of the most who was you know spearheading the efforts in Boston to prevent the spread of COVID nineteen. And he's an openly gay guy who plays in my flag football league and. Throughout the first pitch at Fenway this past Thursday. So that 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 is pretty cool. Talk about, again, how ubiquitous we are, openly gay people, openly LGBTQ people. Uh, this past Friday night, Sid wrote about this on OutSports. The Dodgers uh, had their annual event, a long tradition of LGBTQ support from them. They sold over 8,000 tickets for their Pride Night celebration, that will make up about half of the fans, or that did make up, I should say, about half of the fans in the stadium on Friday night. So that's pretty cool. That's not just holding a Pride Night, but welcoming LGBTQ people into your ballpark and saying, yeah, we're going to give you half of the tickets for this event, which is just awesome. And my favorite Pride story probably to come out of Major League Baseball this week is what happened Friday night in Arizona with the Diamondbacks, uh, MLB photographer Danielle Cortez throughout the first pitch. And what makes this so special is Danielle is openly transgender. Uh, there was a long profile about her in The Athletic this week. I highly recommend you read it. It's more than worth the time. And that's because that it really shows how sports, and you would think Major League Baseball, the conservative culture, you know, is this gonna? Is this the well? Is this a welcoming place for an openly trans woman? Uh, yes, it is. Yes, it is, and it just shows you the inclusive nature of sports and how the per, the perception and reality increasingly don't match up. Uh, at least in terms of front offices. Uh, so Danielle Cortez, her story, and again, please read the athletic piece. But she's a major league baseball photographer. She's worked for the Diamondbacks for years, but for most of the time, uh, she was not out. Um, she struggled with gender dysphoria for most of her life, uh, started getting these feelings when she was nine years old. And then the, the turning point for her, according to what she said to the athletic is that, uh, panic and pain seized her in 2017 when she was driving to a spring training game. And at that moment, she made the decision that she couldn't take living like this anymore. And she would be out within two years and she started hormone replacement therapy in 2019. And then after the final out that season, she actually thought she would never return to Chase Field again. She thought that her career in baseball, once she was out as trans, would be over. So she quit, but then took her job back and she told her manager why she quit. She came out to him. And then she returned to the ballpark last July, July 2020. Of course, this is still at the height of the pandemic. So no fans in the stands, just some front office people and other 
various team employees, and <clears throat> she says that she was settling into a seat that night before the game when she was approached by the team's media relations director, Casey Wilcox. And he told Cortez that it was good to see her, and the team was happy she was there. I'm reading directly now. She expressed that she was nervous, but Wilcox was quick to put her at ease. We love you here, Wilcox replied. And Danielle said to The Athletic, Ever since then, I haven't thought about losing baseball. I never told Casey about that, but it just meant so much to me. It melted every fear that I had away. I mean, isn't that just awesome? I mean, isn't that so great? Isn't that the affirmation that we're all looking for? We love you here. We're happy you're back. Can't get more supportive than that. So a great story out of Arizona. Kudos to the Diamondbacks organization for putting on a great pride night and having Danielle throw out the first pitch. I think that is an excellent choice. And it shows, her story shows, to circle back to the original point, how open sports can be. And how, at least in front offices, this perception can't be gay, can't be LGBTQ, no, no, just a bunch of people in golf polos. Well, that's probably still true, but it's really not that way in terms of the culture. This past week, I had the pleasure of moderating a panel for OutSports about working in sports as a young LGBTQ professional. And there were three uh, other members of the panel, Lee Carey is the Director of Social Responsibility for the 76ers. Sam Rappaport is the NFL's Senior Director of Diversity and Inclusion. And Noel Guevara is the Diamondbacks Community Programs Manager. And it was about an hour-long conversation. I got into this business solely because I could moderate panels. So (laughs) I thank Sid for selecting me for this one. Who doesn't like to sit on a panel, right? I mean, you're an esteemed expert. People are taking time out of their day to watch you speak. That's for a narcissist like yours, truly, there's nothing better. But this was a great conversation. If I was not moderating, I certainly would have checked in on it and been a part of it as well uh, because they're all interesting stories that, again, reaffirm this one message that, yes, originally... As people working in sports, young people working in sports, they were all afraid to come out and had various trepidations about that. But since doing so, they've been embraced. You know, Lee Lee came out to his parents who were not very receptive. He then took an internship with the 76ers and didn't come out to anybody in the office until he was hired full time. That was the rule he set and then He was hired full-time, and he slowly but surely came out, and his experience has been fantastic. He heads the 76ers' Pride Initiatives, including their participation in the Philadelphia Pride Parade, their Pride Night, Noel Guevara, heads up the Diamondbacks' Pride Night, and they both say they feel embraced by their colleagues. They do not feel stereotyped as the gay employee, though Noelle was honest and said that's something that she does struggle with from time to time, separating her work from her sexual identity as a gay woman. And Sam Rappaport said the same thing. And and her story, I thought, was especially powerful because she was closeted, entirely closeted, for the first half of her NFL career. And now she's been coming out of the closet, and this is a direct quote from her, 
I'm still trying to undo the damage that was done being in the closet. And she said later on, coming out, I've had nothing but a positive experience. And that quote is so telling because it it ties into the fact that so much of what you hear as a closeted person, it's it's really based in, you, you know... It's hard to frame in a specific way. I am sitting on the floor after all. But but the point is there is so much fear around coming out. And that's where the narrative is so often. And there isn't as much focus on the utter joy and the weight that's lifted off of your shoulders when you do come out. And those are the stories that we highlight here at OutSports. Those are the stories that most out LGBTQ people have. I know it's a story that I have, all this angst, all these nerves, and then I came out and uh, it was an exhale. And I felt like, yeah, I can finally start living my life now. And Sam Rappaport, who again was closeted for the first half of her NFL career, she did not come out until later in life. Uh, you know, I'm still trying to undo the damage that was done. She says she didn't go to functions She avoided socializing with any of her colleagues under any circumstances. If she did have to appear at an after-work event, she made sure to come late and leave early so no one would ask her about her life. It's just a horrible way to live. She says she suffered at work and feels like she's much better at her job now that she is openly gay. And... You know, it's so interesting when I hear these conversations. And one of the questions I did ask was, was, do you feel stereotyped? You know, or do you feel like you're, do you think about that? That you'll be stereotyped as the gay employee, the LGBTQ person. And again, Noelle said she's dealt with that a lot, especially recently in trying to differentiate herself, but also learning to embrace that and say, yes, this is what I do. And I do very good work around that. You know, I think my story is a little different than employees in pro sports front offices because, you know, I came out in my personal life when I was 20 at the end of my sophomore year, start of my junior year of college that summer. I came out to pretty much everyone who mattered in my life. And then I hit junior year running. Um, so that was great. And that was the biggest worry in my mind by far because I was in college at that point. I didn't have a job. Um, so... That was great. And then I graduated college. I was freelancing as a journalist. And, you know, I don't think I necessarily hid my sexuality on Twitter. I think once in a while I would maybe post supportive things about, you know, the LGBTQ community. Maybe I did a pride, whatever. But, you know, it was never explicit and never part of my work because it just wasn't relevant to my work. And if I came out, I don't really think anybody would have cared. They would have been like, okay, like, nice. My, I think my neighbor did as well. <laughs> like, okay, thanks for the message. So, uh, so yeah, so I wasn't openly gay until I started appearing on WEEI, a story I've told many times before. One of my first times on the morning show, uh, they asked me, is there anything that the listeners don't know about you? And I just put it out right there. I said, yep, I'm gay. And we were off and running. And, you know, I, I never worried about becoming the, the quote unquote gay radio host because I kind of wanted that. And I, and I knew I would be that and I was fine with that because, you know, being an openly gay 
personality in the in the world of sports talk radio, the often regressive world of sports talk radio, was a cool thing. And I knew that would help differentiate myself. And I wanted to lean into that. And more importantly, I wanted to embrace that. So I, those thoughts never really crossed my mind. I mean, I was a talk show host, so I, I really considered myself to be more of an entertainer than anything else. You know, I wasn't dealing with clients necessarily. Uh, I w- and, and But, I mean, that is part of the advantage of being in Boston. You know, if I worked in sports talk radio in another market, maybe I would have been discouraged from coming out. But I knew that the hosts I was working with, the people at the station... They, they wanted me to be myself. They wanted me to be my most outrageous self. And I had to be me in order to do that. And uh, yeah, it just, it just, it never crossed my mind. The fact that I would be pigeonheld as this gay host or gay sports writer and that it would somehow hold back my career. And I, I never, that never occurred to me that it would ever harm me professionally in any way. I thought it could only help me professionally. And that's definitely me speaking from a place of privilege because I am a white cis man who lives in Boston and has worked in Boston. So I understand that's a big point of privilege and also a function of the jobs I've had. I mean, nowadays I write for Outsports, so I think the secret is out of the bag. Um, but that also ties into the conversation about how we're not a homogenous group. I mean, my story could not be more different than the story of a black trans person living in the Bible Belt, right? So I, I, I think that's why we, again, it's so important to not just view the LGBTQ community as one group this month and recognize that we all have very different experiences. And if you're a white gay man in Boston, cis man, yeah, being gay, I mean, it's the best choice I ever made. <laughs> That's what I say. Kidding, of course. Kidding. And the last thing I wanted to bring up this week to tie... We're, all, we're tying things in all the time here on the show. This week, the topic last week, the topic du jour was, is pride becoming too corporate? To tie into that, there was a very interesting argu- uh, article on Insider this week about whether kink has a place at pride... Here is the title. It's a bit of a long headline. The debate over kink at Pride divides the internet, but the kink community has been part of queer protest and celebration since Stonewall. So, it's a long headline. It basically tells the story. (laughs) So you don't need to read it. No, you do need to read it. It's a good piece, and it just shows how throughout history of Pride and again Stonewall, kinksters, leather daddies, uh, they've been a big part of the gay community, and back in the 50s and 60s, cross-dressing was considered kinky. So any drag performers, wow, really kinky. And now we it's RuPaul's Drag Race. Tell me something more bubblegum than that. So again, just how much we've evolved over time. But this is a discourse that happens to varying levels across the country in every city. I remember growing up in Boston as a kid, I would tune into WEI in here, my pal Jerry Callahan talk about, you know, why do they have to wear assless chaps at the parade? You know, to him, that was a two over the line. There are kids watching. So no assless chaps for Jerry. Got it. Uh, for other people, it's they don't want to see the leather daddies or they don't want to see the harnesses or what have you. You know, does kink have its place of pride? And the argument against that, the actual 
you know, argument that gets leveled levied against that is, you know, these pride parades are corporate family events and there's so many other things happening during pride weekends where you can let your freak flag fly, but during the parade, you know, keep it in your pants and let's try to make this as friendly to everybody and welcoming to everybody as possible. And I would say F that. (laughs) I mean, F that. I think that this uh, line in the Insider article hits the nail on the head. Uh, This discourse is also rooted in respectability politics and a push for LGBTQ people to be seen as acceptable or even normal in a heteronormative society. And that precisely is why I think kink belongs at Pride, of course, within reason. I mean, you don't want, you know, X-rated, but but, but, but kink does not imply dirty or hedonistic or sardonic, I mean, or sadistic. It, It doesn't. It doesn't, and that's the perception that we need to get across. It's just, it's a part of the community, and and more importantly, it's the best way to phrase it is is it's a way for people to express themselves, and that's what we're all doing, right? During this month and throughout the year, we are expressing ourselves. So that's what it means to wear your favorite harness or wear your assless chaps for Jerry or wear your leather outfit. You are expressing yourself, and that's the point of pride, to express yourself and be proud of who you are. That's why it's called pride. So that's why kink has a purpose wherever you want it to have a purpose, as far as I'm concerned. And I think I have changed over the years. You know, maybe if you talk to me when I first came out seven or eight years ago, I may have said, yeah, you know, why do you need to do that? There are, you know, all sorts of parties, you know, don't, don't, don't the gays party, just do it there. But now it's all about standing out. You know, I'm at the point in my life and where it's, I feel more comfortable in short trunks or a Speedo than I do in board shorts. Really, I was at the beach a few weeks ago in Boston with some friends and I brought a regular bathing suit but wore a Speedo underneath. And within like 10 minutes, I took off the bathing suit and was in the Speedo because I felt like a, like a, I just felt out of place in my, in my ugly bathing suit. I, I felt like a dad, basically. Now there's anything wrong with being a dad, but be a dad in a Speedo, not a dad in board shorts. So I've been all about standing out over the years and getting more provocative, a little bit more in my dress. I mean, now I wear five inch seam shorts. Woo hoo. But I used to not even wear shirts with, like, graphics on them because I thought that would make me stand out too much. So baby steps for all of us, but that's why we embrace kink at Pride because Pride is about celebrating who you are. And I'm about to celebrate myself probably with a nice drink after squatting throughout this whole edition of the show. As always, please subscribe to the Sports Kiki podcast wherever you can find your favorite outsport shows were available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. As always, if you have any show ideas, topic suggestions, guest suggestions, I know the guests. Remember when we had them every week? We'll get back to that. Don't worry. But sometimes it's Pride Month. We're, we're, we're embracing ourselves. But please send any ideas to me on Twitter. At AlexReamer1 is my name. That again is at AlexReamer1. So long, everybody. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you next next Saturday.